serving saves lives, that you are here because somebody served before you got here. Somebody set up chairs, somebody welcomed your kids, somebody um, greeted you in the parking lot or in the buildings, and beyond that, somebody helped serve this church, serve God through this church to make a comfortable place for you to come and hear God's word. And if you're thankful for those people, just say amen. Amen. Now it's time to pay it forward. Now it's time to go beyond what you have received and turn from a reservoir into a river. There's a lot of Christians, they wanna be reservoirs. They want the goodies from God. But not many Christians think about this. God doesn't want you to be a reservoir, he wants you to be a river. Rivers let water flow into them and out of them, flow through them. Reservoirs just collect water. And we are not reservoirs, we are rivers in Jesus' name. So today I wanna talk to you about movement number two in this series. Movement number one last week we talked about serve here. Somebody say here. Here is in the church, in the building, and that's a nice place to serve. It's a safe place to serve because if you mess up here, we will forgive you. We will give you another chance. And that's that's a good place to kind of stretch your legs in doing something for other people. I see a lot of young people in this service particularly. Of course, you're here at the later service because you like to sleep in. And I remember when I was young and I used to sleep, and now I can't sleep past 7.30. That's what happens when you've had three children and two dogs. But when I was young, I slept in. And you are probably more good looking than us older people because you sleep in. Beauty sleep, anybody. So young people, here's what I'd love to see. Young people in the lobbies welcoming people. Let's put our good looking people in the front, amen. And young people in the front. Not that older people are, you know, bad. Uh, we could put some older people there uh, as well, and a lot of good-looking older people. And I, I got to get out of this trap that I've just set for myself verbally, <laughs> and I'm trying to think about a way out of it right now, and I can't. So forgive me. Like I said, if you mess up here, we'll forgive you. And everybody who forgives Pastor for what he just said said Amen. <laughs> Whoa! How did I get to that? Okay. So sign up to serve here. Now here's movement number two: serve there. Serve there. This microphone is too hot. I'm getting feedback all over the place up here. It was great first service. It's not so good this service. Okay, serve there. So serve here and then serve there. Where is your there? I I want you to think about beyond just this building because this is training ground. Let's get out of this building and serve where we are. Key thought, write this down if you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Okay, well, first let me just show you the title of the sermon is Becoming the Christian the World Truly Needs. That's the sermon title. Becoming the Christian the World Truly Needs. How many know there's a lot of bad Christians out there? I wanna wanna develop a church filled with Christians who the world needs. Notice that the message title is not Becoming the Christian the World Likes. Sometimes what they like is not what they need. You might like the Oreo shake at Chick-fil-A. You don't need it. Okay, that doesn't stop me from having a lot of them. (laughs) But what I do need is vitamins. What I do need is broccoli, right? You know, sometimes we gotta be broccoli to people who want an Oreo shake, spiritually speaking. Okay, so now, write this down. This is the key thought. Am I serving where I'm stationed? Last Last week I talked to you about America's theme of serving, and I brought up the military our military members. How many of you are thankful for our military members? Let's give them a hand. Thank God that that they served our nation and protected us. We are alive today because of service members. Amen for them. But did you ever think about that the Bible has many metaphors for the church? The Bible calls us members of God's family, children in God's household, um, parts of God's body. Have you ever thought about this? We are soldiers in God's army. You are a soldier and you are stationed all over our communities for the purposes of God. You're stationed there. In about 45 minutes, you're going to go from here to there. Maybe, you know, your home there and then your work there tomorrow or maybe tonight or your school there tomorrow morning or tomorrow night, but 
you're here now to bless there. I'm here to bless you here so that you can be a blessing there. That is really my heart. Every time I preach, the last question I ask before I preach a sermon, do you know what it is? I ask myself, Lord, is this message gonna help your people? Because if it's not helping you, it's not worth saying. I wanna help you so that God does a good work in you and then you do good works to everyone around you. What's your there? You are there on purpose. Look at this verse from Acts chapter 17. Uh, Paul speaking, he says, God, he made from one man, that's Adam, every nation of mankind to live on the earth, on the face of the earth, and then look at the, the next line. Having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. So what that means is this, that God determined when you were there and where you are there. The job that you have is not an accident. It may have, been, it may have looked like an accident that, that got you the job, but God is gonna use the accident to produce good things through you there. You might not like the family that you're in, and you might be thinking, goodness, the holidays are coming up. But, and it's like intense family time. But God had put you in that family. You're there on purpose to make there a better place. God does not accidentally put you anywhere. He has stationed you there. You, gotta have an, you have to have this mindset or you will go crazy and you will be depressed and you will look at everybody else's life and you will think, I want what they have instead of thanking God for what he has given you. Amen. Comparison is a garrison. It traps you into a stifled life. God doesn't want you trapped by comparing your life to other people. He wants you advancing in the life he has given you. I think about some Bible characters and Bible heroes who had to serve where they wouldn't have chosen it. Like Moses would not have chosen to be serving his father-in-law by watching his father-in-law's sheep for 40 years on the backside of a desert. You can divide Moses' life, 120 years, into three sections of 40. 40 years he was in Pharaoh's palace, and he decides he's going to deliver Israel. And the first thing that he does to deliver Israel is he kills an Egyptian. And God says, no, I'm not going to let you do the killing, Moses. I'll do the killing. How many know God kills better than we do? Amen? I don't know why you should say amen to that, but it's true. It's, it's, it's true. It's a biblical fact. So 40 years he's in the palace. Uh, he kills a guy, he gets found out, he runs for his life, and then he spends the next 40 years in the middle of nowhere watching somebody else's sheep. That is not a there people aspire to. Nobody goes to four years of college and three years of master's degree to pastor sheep in a wilderness, yeah? Not an ambitious calling. But he was in that there for 40 years faithfully, listen, until one day he saw a bush that didn't burn up. And we all know the rest of the story from that point forward, yeah? I wonder who here needs to realize that there is a burning bush waiting to happen. Stop comparing your life and start thinking about how can God use me where I am there. Think about Joseph. You know, Joseph was hated by his family. His brothers couldn't stand him. Now, he did have a little bit of an arrogance about him. He used to tell them about his dreams. Oh, you're, you're going to bow down to me. I mean, that's the best way to get hated by your family is to tell your brothers you're going to bow down to me one day. But they sell him into slavery. He goes into slavery. He serves well there. He serves as a slave well. Then he is falsely accused of rape, and he's thrown into prison. And guess what he does in prison? He serves there well. And, 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 and it's one, one day, two of his fellow inmates have a dream. And you would have thought, man, Joseph would have said, you know what, I ain't, I ain't doing anything with your dreams because I know everything that I've done with my dreams just got me here. So forget dreams. No, he serves well there. He interprets their dreams, and his interpretation of one of those guys' dreams leads to a conversation with Pharaoh. And in one day, Joseph goes from the pit to the palace because he served well, where? There. there. 
Who here has a family that gives you heartache and trouble? Who here doesn't like the family that God has given you? Who here feels like, I don't even know if they like me, I don't even know if I belong here, but God is saying, you've gotta serve well there to set up your ultimate there. That's not a mistake, you're not an accident, you're not, you are, God did not lose you, you are not misplaced. You are perfectly positioned for the ultimate plan and purposes of God that he has for you because you are not just a member of his home, you are a soldier in his army and you are on mission to conquer the devil's kingdom in Jesus' name. I am there on purpose. I think about Esther. Esther, do you know what she did? Did she have a theology degree? No. Did she have, um, you know, the, this feminist mindset, I'm gonna pursue career instead of family and kids? Uh, no. Did she have some business skills, some intellectual acumen? No. What did Esther have? Good looks. That's it. And because she had good looks, some guys in Persia around the 8th century BC, some guys noticed her and said, you would be a perfect fit for this beauty pageant we're putting on where the king is gonna select his new bride from among you. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the idea for ABC's The Bachelor comes from the Bible. <laughs> Did you ever think about that? The ancient king of Persia was like, will you take this rose? <laughs> and Esther was like, okay. She was the one, she won the first episode of The Biblical Bachelor. <laughs> then she was put into a harem. Do you know what a harem is? Do you know what this is? A harem is a collection. Any unsaved guys, you're gonna love this. Um, <laughs> it's a collection of women for the king to have sex with whoever he wants anytime he wants. That's where she was. She was in a harem. She served in there. But she didn't want to at first. There was a decree that went out that was gonna kill all the Jews. and and. And she's like, I'm gonna go into hiding. I'm not dealing with this. I, I, thank God I'm in the harem, I'm, I'm hiding. She has a cousin named Mordecai who says, whoa, 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 you're thinking about this all wrong. He says, and this is a great line from Esther chapter four. He says, who knows if you haven't come to the kingdom, and this line is very famous in English vernacular, what? For such a time as this. She served in a misogynistic, patriarchal, oppressive, environment. She, she didn't complain about it. She served in it. And to this day, the Jews celebrate a feast called Purim where they commemorate the day that Esther, the bachelorette, <laughs> saved the nation. <laughs> okay. If Joseph can serve in prison and Esther can serve in a harem, you can serve there. It's all a matter of perspective. And I am offering you a better way to think about your life because the alternative is to think, God uh, lost me somewhere along the way and I am not fulfilling my dreams and my purposes and my passions and I am no there's no opportunities here and I live amongst pagans and everybody hates me and life stinks and I got no purpose. Sure, you can go that way or you can go the way that I'm offering you here to find purpose and to find a place to serve wherever you're there. With that in mind, let's take a look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter five. Would you stand with me? Matthew chapter five, verse 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is God's word, let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for Jesus who spoke them to us. Help us to receive them and help us to serve wherever you have stationed us. Help us in this moment to see Jesus so that others will see him through us. In his name we pray and everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you, have a seat. 
There's a lot of Christians who like to sparkle. They like to sparkle. I call this the Taylor Swift effect. Sparkle. I remember I was watching, you know, when this tour went on, you know, she came to Foxborough up here, then she came to Tampa. You know, we have churches in both areas, right? And I, I was on, I don't know how I ran across these pictures. I must have followed, I must have seen like some hashtag online. Grown women with sparkle on their face to go see Taylor Swift. Some of you are one of them. That's why you're so quiet right now. <laughs> I just want to be honest with you and uh, tell you you're weird. Okay, I'll, I'll be honest, okay? So, <laughs> but a lot of Christians want to sparkle. They want to shine. They want to be seen. They want people to celebrate them. Sparkle, 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 look at me. God, give me the husband that I love, that I want, so that I can sparkle. God, give me the kids that I would really like, so sparkle. Even some of you came to church today for God not to challenge you, but to just help you. Sparkle. Help me to live a better life. Help me to have a better husband. Help me to have a better wife. Help me to have a better job. Sparkle, sparkle, sparkle. And then there's a lot of pre preachers. All they want to do is sparkle. Preachers want to just sparkle, sparkle, look at me, look at me, serving God in my capacity. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know what? We're not sparkle. We're salt. Stop sparkling. Start salting. Amen. You are the salt of the earth. And this salt is going wherever I tell it to go. You do not choose the salt, pellets, grain, grains, what? The salt, what? Grains, yeah. They don't tell me where they want to go. I tell it where I want it to go. That's what God has done with you. He has shaken you out onto the place where you are. Be careful if you come up for prayer at the end of service. There's a lot of sparkling, <laughs> salting. And I thought about the, the two metaphors in this passage that Jesus uses to describe the church. Salt and what? Light. Jesus could have chosen anything. He could have said, you know what you guys are? You are the basil of the earth. You are the garlic of the earth. I'm an Italian. I'm half Italian. I would have liked garlic. Garlic is good. Amen. Because you are the butter of the earth. How many know that to make any meal good, just add butter? Yes? You don't like lobster. You don't. You don't. You like butter. And lobster is the vehicle to get more butter into your gullet. That's the truth. Okay? <laughs> but he doesn't say butter. He doesn't say saffron. He doesn't say basil. He says salt. Do you know why? Because he made it, and he knows how useful it is. There are 14,000 documented uses for salt. 14,000 documented uses for salt. We season with it. We think that's it. Do you know that you can't survive without salt? Your body has a percentage of salt. If it falls below that percentage, you die. Salt keeps things alive. Do you know why you're where you are, even if they don't like you there? You're keeping it alive. I don't like the business. I don't like this office that I'm in. Everybody's a pagan. Everybody swears, cusses, makes jokes, crude people. I don't like them. I don't understand why. They don't like me. That's right. You're there to preserve. In Jesus' day, salt was a preservative. It literally kept meat. My wife, she does this for us at our home. She makes something called biltong. It's South African. And calling it beef jerky does a disservice to it because it's so much better than beef, uh, beef jerky. But she salts it, and then she hangs it, and she puts a fan on it, and two days later, you have the most delectable dried meat ever. But it's salted to preserve the meat. So in Jesus' day, that's what salt did. Salt preserves. Where, why are you there? You are there to preserve it. You are there to stop it from destroying itself. You are in that family with all of those people who hate Jesus so that you can be a light. Do you know how many uses for light there are? Thousands, not just illumination. Also, if we don't have light, we die. And everybody who's been through seasonal affective disorder in the winter knows what I'm talking about. If you don't get enough light, you get depressed, you feel like you're gonna die. Light brings life. Light brings joy. Why are you there? You are there to bring life. You are there to bring joy. Don't think you're unuseful. God has made you useful and declares you useful in the name of Jesus Christ. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You didn't just land in that place. God has you there on assignment. Oh, man, so many uses I could go on about, about salt, but you have to understand that's what you are. So think about this. If you are salt and salt is meant to preserve and you are light and light is meant to illuminate, that means that the place where you are is decaying and dark. So write this down, point number one. 
A dark and decaying world, world needs devoted Christians. I said it backwards. A decaying and dark world needs devoted Christians. If you're salt, that means that where you are needs preservation. That means that where you are is decaying. So don't be shocked when God puts you with some of the worst people. You're on a mission. You're on assignment. You know, you call the plumber. Nobody has their plumber over the house just because. You know what I mean? Unless you're friends with them. But I only call the plumber when crap is everywhere. I don't need the plumber, you know, when my, when my daughter's about to go to prom. I don't need him there then. I don't need him to come take pictures. I don't need him to plant my plants. I need the plumber when the crap shows up. God needs Christians when the darkness shows up. God needs Christians when the decay shows up. So if you're in a dark and decaying place, rejoice and be glad. You have been assigned by your heavenly Father who has gifted you and provided for you the power of the Holy Spirit so that you can shine in Jesus' name. Got to see it this way. Verse 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. I put those up on the screen and underline you, and you can circle you if it's not circled in your text on your notes there because you is in the emphatic position in the Greek sentence. The Bible was, New Testament was written in Greek, not English, and Greek is an inflected language, so that means that we can know what word is emphasized in the sentence based on where it is in the sentence, and the first word in the sentence is the most emphasized word in the sentence, and so you is first, so here's literally what Jesus is saying. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And if not you, then who? Without you, the world won't do. How many rhymes do I gotta go through to help you? See it. <laughs> okay, so this is emphatic. You matter where you are. Serve there, help there, love there. Some of you are like, I want God to just take me away. I want God to get me out of the world. Don't pray that prayer. Here's Jesus' prayer from John chapter 15. Look at his prayer. He's praying to the Father in John chapter, I'm sorry, John chapter 17. Here's what he says. I do not ask that you, Father, take them out of the world. I ask that you keep them from the evil one. This is Jesus' prayer for you. Jesus is not praying for you to escape the darkness. He's asking God to protect you from the evil one in the midst of the darkness so that you can know that he might send you to a dark place, but the evil one cannot overcome you. Does anybody understand that they're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ? Does anybody understand that God is with you and he is for you, and if he is for you, no man can stand against you? Does anyone believe today that every weapon formed against you will not prosper against you in Jesus' name? Does anybody believe today that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world? Does anybody here believe today that you are, you are the head and not the tail? You are the sons of the most high God. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should call out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're there, and he's not praying for you to escape. He's praying you to infect and affect the world for him. He says, they are not of the world, verse 16, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. As you sent me, so I have sent them. Take your finger, look at this, look at this. Take your finger like this, everybody, and point it at you, and just say this after me. I am sent. Yeah, if it's dark, if it's decaying, that's what I'm here for. Point number two. A depressed world needs a delighted Christian, needs delighted Christians. Are you a happy Christian? And I'm not talking about always happy, because that's fake. Uh, I'm talking about just inwardly there's joy. You will go through hardship, you will go through trial, tribulation. I believe that God allows Christians and non-Christians to get cancer. I believe that God allows Christians and not Christians to lose their job. I believe that God allows Christians and not Christians to be you know, mistreated and maligned. But he does that so that the world can see that Christians react differently. Differently. Is there joy in your life? Um, here, here's where I'm going with this. Not all Christians are Christians. 
My grandfather was a pastor for 30 years. He used to always say, in every church, there is a church. In every church, there is a church. Judas hung out with Jesus for three years. He was never part of it. Got it? Paul had several people walk out the door. He had people turn on him and hate him. And they were formerly members of the church. I ran across a survey from Barna Research. Barna is a Christian research organization, and it produced some very sad, tough stats about the church. I want to share three results from the survey of the church. 56% of professing evangelical Christians, 56% of them believe that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. 56%. Do you know what that means? That 56% of evangelical Christians are actually not Christians. There is no multiple ways. There is one way. And some people in non-believers, you're gonna say it right now. I know you're saying it right now in your head. You're saying, that's what I hate about you Christians. We didn't say it. Jesus said it. I'm not, I didn't come up with this idea. I am the mailman, he's the writer. Don't shoot the postal service member, amen somebody. <laughs> okay, so Jesus is, so this is the evangelical church. 43% of professing Christians believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. 43%. That means that 43% of not, uh, professing Christians are not Christians. You say, why is it so important that I believe he is God? Because he bore your sin eternally on the cross as God, the Son. And only, listen, and only an eternal being can cover eternal sins. You got that? My blood can't wash away your sins. Only his blood can. For uh, This one really shocked me. 57% of professing Christians believed with this statement, everyone sins a little, but most people are basically good. 57% of Christians believe that. That's not true. That's not biblical. We've got a problem in the church. It's time for our house to get cleaned up. It's no wonder why Christians are so ineffective. They don't believe basic stuff, basic truth. You, you gotta read the Bible, but what the Bible says, Jesus said, out of the heart of man, is anybody a man or a woman here? Yeah, okay. We got more work to do than I realized. Um, if you are a man or woman, Jesus said, out of your heart, Jesus said, out of your heart comes evil thoughts. Some of you, <laughs> you're the sparkle Christians. Jesus is just about love. Jesus is just about love. That was his message. Yeah, you're, you're listening to Madonna, not your pastor, okay? Jesus spoke truth. And he said, your hearts are wicked and evil. You're, you're, you're sinners unless you repent. What does that mean? Change how you think. Unless you repent, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This is Jesus speaking. Mankind is not basically good. Mankind is totally evil. Gee, has anybody ever tried to be good? Not many of you. This is second service, of course. Um, <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried to be good. And everybody knows that because come first of the year, you're going to try to be good again, aren't you? And you're going to fail in 13 days. That's what's going to happen. Your, your heart is evil. You need Jesus to change your heart. Now, why am I, why am I digging deep in this? Because this is how you become delighted by God. If not every Christian is a Christian, then when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, we better make sure, listen, that we fit into that you. Who is the you? Well, remember last series when I told you that if you want to interpret the Bible, you got to read before and after the passage that you're reading? But Matthew 5.13, read it in context. Back up with me if you got your paper Bible out. Back up with me because it's not going to be on the screen. Um, go up to verse 3. Jesus does something, he opens his sermon with beatitudes. These are attitudes of blessing. And it starts like this, Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then keep reading, you are the salt of the earth. Got it? So the measurement of if I fit into the category of salt of the earth and light of the world is the nine statements of blessing that Jesus has pronounced in the previous passage. Are you following this? So let's do some tests. He's talking about blessedness. Now, the word blessed in in Greek is makarios. I want to put this up on the screen for what makarios, blessing here. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Makarios is not a feeling. It's not, some people say, oh, it means happy. Well, that's a feeling. It doesn't mean happy. It means fortunate, actually. It means that you have received. Um, One translator said it means that you should be congratulated for having arrived at a fortunate situation. So what blessing here means is you should be glad that you have arrived at a fortunate situation. Or you are happy, uh, responsively, to the, res- to the work of God in your life. That's why I put it up on the screen. Blessing is not a feeling. It's the result of God's work in your life. Well, what does that look like? I want to give you eight points on how to be a delighted Christian. And all the points begin with D. And I, this message, every point is a D. And so I feel like Sesame Street saying, this sermon is brought to you by the letter D. Uh, <laughs> Eight ways to be a delighted Christian. Write these down. Number one, depend on heaven's resources. In other words, blessed are the poor in spirit. So what is Jesus saying? He doesn't say blessed are the poor. He says blessed are the poor in spirit. The people who feel like they don't have what it takes have arrived at a very fortunate position. Here's why. And some of you have been there. When life brings you to the place where you just know that you've got nothing but God. That is one awesome place to be. Because sometimes the hard, the, 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 the reason why so many people don't experience God is because they have too much other things to depend on. They have so many other things. This is why it's hard for Americans. I'm not surprised at all that more Americans than ever are leaving the church. I'm not. We're so wealthy. We're so blessed. We're so saturated with so much content and consuming. I mean, we can, we can watch any show from any generation. We can binge the entire series. We can go to any bar right now and drink ourselves into oblivion. We can accomplish amazing things in business and in industry. We can go to school until our brains explode. And we've got all this opportunity to consume all the things of this world. And lost in all of it is the only one in whom our true souls delight. That's why Americans can be so empty and so full at the same time. But God will bring you to a place where you've only got him. Jesus says, congratulations, depend on me and watch me come through. Paul says, I will boast of my weaknesses because in my weaknesses, his strength is made perfect. The second beatitude, blessed are those who mourn. Number two, delighted Christians, disdain my own sins. Disdain whose sins? My sins. Pro tip for being a Christian, hate your sins more than the sins of others. You know what I said? Jesus said, hey, when you are pointing out the speck in somebody else's eye, watch out for the log in your own. Yank the plank, my friend. Yank the plank. Hate your sins more than others. That's how to be a delighted Christian. That's why he says, blessed are those who mourn. He's not saying, blessed are those who are sad. Mourning, this is a biblical um, concept for mourning over your sin. Mourning over your you're, you're the evil that's in your heart. And Christians get this. Because once God changes your heart, you hate the things that you do that are offensive to God. And you still do them sometimes because you're still warring with the flesh. And then you do it and you're like, I can't believe I did that to the Lord. I can't believe I said that thing. I can't believe I thought that thing. I hate that. But why did I do that? Because the flesh is still warring with the spirit of God in you. 
And so mourn over that because God says, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to cleanse you. His mercies are new every morning. Come on, somebody. Great is his faithfulness. He never gives up on his children. You cannot out the grace of God, but you must hate your sin. Then number three, demur to God's protection. This is, I went deep on the thesaurus for this one to find the D word. Demur to God's protection, which means let God fight your battles. Let God fight your battles. That's what blessed are the meek means. They shall inherit the earth. You know who inhabited this, inhibited, you know who, who, who really uh, exercised this? David. David knew that God would fight his battles. He never fought for his own personal reputation. He always fought for God's reputation. And God always uh, fought for his reputation. I think somebody needs to hear this today. If you fight for God's reputation, he'll fight for yours. That's what, here's what that means. Stop picking stupid fights. Not every, not every comment has to be insulting to you. Not every person, you know, needs to praise you. Not, not every battle needs to be fought by you. Let God fight your battles. That's, meekness is not weakness. Meekness is strength under control. That's what meekness is. Another translation reads gentleness. It's, you know, who, who should inhabit gentleness? Listen up, men. Fathers should be the most gentle people. Here's what a, a good father is, a father who knows that he could rip the kid's arm off, but hugs him instead. Who disciplines with a measured hand, but after the discipline goes out of his way to restore the relationship with the wayward child. Are you hearing this? That is who our father is. That is who our father, too many fathers are weak they need to be meek instead of weak. Strength under control. Fight the right battles and let God fight the other battles for you. Amen. I've had people attack me in this church. I've had people uh, malign my character on Facebook in this church. Some of them, and I don't say this with pride at all, and some of you know this, they've died. They've died attacking this church. And it was heartbreaking for me to see that. I'd rather them repent, but they wouldn't. And God took them up. And I didn't do it, God did it. That is God fighting my battles. I am not concerned about my reputation. I really don't give a rip what you think about me. I care about what you think about Jesus Christ. I want his name to be glorified. I want his name to be preached from this pulpit. I want Jesus to be known in Massachusetts and in Florida. Come on, somebody. It's about Jesus. And if you fight for his reputation, I know he'll protect yours. I got too many witnesses on, on, on the backside of my life. I got too many people that can testify to my history. I shouldn't be where I am today, but God held me fast. There's a song we sing, this is how I fight my battles. This is a, when I'm surrounded, I know I'm surrounded by you. I got angels around me. I don't have to fight those battles. Somebody attacks me online. I don't get back and forth with them. I let God fight that battle. He'll take care of me. Blessed are the meek. Some of you gotta do, some of you gotta do this because you are, you love a fight. You pick fights. You can't avoid a fight. You, you, I don't know what it is. It's like a drug to you. Like, just say no. Number four. Uh, desire God's way of life. This is what delighted Christians do. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness is God's way of living. You gotta get to the point where you stop liking the world's way of living and you love God's way of living. That doesn't mean you always do it, but you love it. You hunger for it. You know you're a Christian if you know there are things that need to change and you really want it to happen. You delight in God's way. You don't delight in adultery, in stealing, in you know, shameful activity. You don't delight in gossip. You, you, don't, you don't want that stuff. Number five, distribute mercy freely. Delighted Christians are forgiving Christians. Some of you have come together today at Waters Church and there's a backpack slinged over your shoulder, figuratively speaking. And in that backpack are all the hurts for all your life. Everything anybody ever said to you. And at home, there's, a, there's 
written in stone, engraved in stone, there's a list of people that you're no longer talking to. You know what you got a problem with? You got a problem with mercy. I'm not talking to them anymore. Well, why? Did that, is that how God treated you? The Bible says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I've had to do this, swallow my pride, extend the olive branch, meet with the person who doesn't like me or that I don't like and say, we gotta move on. I can't hold this against you anymore. And this is how we live delighted because the, the backpack Christians, you're depressed. You got shoulder pains, you got back aches, spiritually speaking, because you're carrying all the hurts from the last 30 to 40 years of your life. And you need to receive, I think you gotta just receive Jesus' forgiveness more deeply so that you can extend forgiveness more freely. See, um, mercy, uh, merciful Christians do not weaponize Facebook or social media. Hey. You know what I'm talking about. You post the post intentionally just to, you know, lob a bomb at somebody who hurt you. What children we are. Like, don't do that. You're a Christ follower. Be merciful as God has been merciful to you. Number six, decontaminate from the inside out. You know how I talked about out of the, evil, out of the heart of man? Jesus said, out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts. Well, now you want God to decontaminate that. Delighted Christians say, God needs to change my heart. Delighted Christians say, I need this to be purged from sin. Jesus said, blessed are the pure, where? In heart. So, so often, Christianity becomes this behavioral modification program. Behavioral modification. God, would you please change these habits? No, I'm interested in changing your heart. So that the habit doesn't even do it for you anymore. You gotta let God change the appetite. The appetite comes from within. The habit is an externality. The, the internal heart issue is where God wants to do business with you. If I have a clean heart, I will have a clean life. That's why David prayed, create in me, Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Clean me, Lord. Cleanse me from within. I need to be changed from within. So that the out, see, Jesus said, if the root is good, the fruit will be good. Some of you just spraying, you're spraying your fruit with spray paint. You're just trying to beautify your bad works, your evil works. And you're just going to say, no, no, no. It's not what I'm doing. It's what I'm feeling. It's what I'm thinking. It's what I'm internalizing into my life. I didn't share this with last service, but maybe you need to hear it. Um, I've been reading through the Bible intensely. I'm trying to read this right now in this season through the Bible in 90 days. That, you read a lot of Bible if you do that. And uh, I, I just went through the Psalms. And I put some worship music on in the background and I had my ear pods in, and I was just listening to worship and reading the Psalms. Uh, I was doing that for about 30 minutes. Can I tell you, uh, wow, the beauty of that moment was un undescribable, indescribable. It was just, it released me. It, it brought me closer to God. I felt peace, just joy, just exuded from my life. Put in what you want to get out. Put clean in, get clean out. Amen. All right. Seven, diplomatically handle strained relationships. If you want to be a delighted Christian, you got to know how to diplomatically handle difficult people because you will run into them. And some of you are not going to learn this lesson until five years from now. If you run away from difficult person A, difficult person B will be waiting for you at the next stop. And they're the same person that you ran away from, just different skin, different name. Come on. You gotta learn, you gotta learn how to handle the difficult person that you're with, diplomatically. So Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Notice he doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. Some people are great at keeping peace, but not making peace. If you wanna make peace, you gotta make war. You gotta do the hard work to get to peace. Neville Chamberlain went down in history as a weakling. He wanted to appease Hitler. He wanted to keep Hitler happy. Peace in our time was his famous phrase. Thank God for Winston Churchill, who said, we're gonna fight this sucker. We're not gonna give up, and we're gonna keep fighting if it costs our lives, because we're gonna make peace. And sometimes to make peace, you gotta do war. 
You got, you got to have the difficult conversation. You got to talk to them in person. That's making peace. And, and here's another qualifier for being a peacemaker, being a happy Christian, and this will help your happiness level in ways I can't even tell you. Once you've made peace, just know that you don't have to be besties. You don't have to be friends with them. You don't have to, you know, have play dates anymore or go out to dinner with their wife and your wife and all that stuff. You don't do that. Some people you can make peace with, but you don't have to make friends with. Yeah. There's, a, there's a proverb that's near and dear to my heart. It says this, uh, Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Sometimes having too many friends is toxic. And you don't have to be friends with everybody. But by all means, as far as it depends on you, the Bible says, live at peace with all men. Okay? Number, where are we on? Eight, delight in the rejection of the world. This is how to be a delighted Christian is when the world hates you, what Jesus said in the Beatitudes is rejoice and be glad because that's how they treated the prophets. Um, I think we have at all of our locations today, I bet you that we have a bunch of guys named Isaiah and Jeremiah and Elijah and maybe even a few Ezekiels. Okay, those are not the names of football players. Those are the names of prophets from ancient times who told people the truth and listen, their generation hated them for it. <laughs> you know what they did to Jeremiah? They threw him in a pit. They threw him in a well and tried to starve him to death as he was telling them what God said. Today, there's little Jeremiah's running all over the world. Little Jeremiah's because of that hated prophet. And this is what Jesus is saying. You understand, uh, Bishop Fulton Sheen, he said this, if you marry the spirit of the age, you're going to be a widow in the next because culture changes. What's fashionable now will be outdated then. Do you know what never goes out of style? <laughs> it never goes out of style. This is the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This truth has stood the test of time 2,000 years later and still changing lives. Still the one. <laughs> so I want to be, if necessary, and I don't take pride in this, but I want to be, if necessary, rejected by my generation and accepted in heaven. That's what Jesus means when he says in verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. Now, now take all those eight things, and that is who is the you in salt of the earth and light of the world. Got it? So some of you, homework time, go home today, and at some point tonight, before you go to bed, just check this list of eight things and say, where, 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 does I, where do I need God to work on me? Because I know there's a couple on the list for me, too. I, I need to work on that, because that's not bringing salt. Because people who forgive get noticed. Uh, people who delight for doing the right thing, and even if people think it's the wrong thing, they get noticed. You see, salt is noticeable. Light is noticeable. And then God, the world will see us, and they will know that we are Christians. Number three, to the big points here. A dumb world needs discerning Christians who do good works. <laughs> this message is brought to you by the letter D. A dumb world. The world is dumb. And it's getting dumber by the second. I, I say the things that are dumb, and people will say, you hateful bigot. Like, I'll say this. Uh, you're dumb if you believe that a 12-year-old girl can really be a boy. You're dumb. You probably went to Harvard, <laughs> and you were in the social sciences division, not, not the, you know, you know, the law division or, you know, something helpful. Um, <laughs> you're dumb if you don't think that divorce hurts kids. You're dumb 
if you think your skin color determines who you are. It's just dumb. And you're really dumb if you think men and women are the same. This is just stupid. Now, you guys know I have a YouTube channel where I tell you how dumb the world is every Tuesday night. Tune in. But <laughs> on Sunday, I have to be pastor. Okay? And, and so I've said this last week. I said it again. We can curse the darkness or we can light a candle. So ask God to give you wisdom so that your wisdom shines in the darkness and dumb people see it and say, what, what is that? Why, why is your life going so well? What, what's going on for you? And then you have the chance right there. Then you have the chance to say, um, his, his name is Jesus. And he changed me. And he can change you. I told you about Mehdi Ginoli, our location pastor in the South Coast. He was, he was going to be written up because he didn't want to do the LGBT you know, celebration thing. And he was going to be written up. And he said, okay, fine, I'm leaving. And he went and got a new job. And they begged him. They begged him to come back. And they gave him a raise and a promotion. And I, and I shared this. And some of you didn't hear this. I only shared it in one service. The guy who begged him to come back to the old business was a homosexual. My Bible tells me that if a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Um, Mehdi told me about a guy, we're going to share a video of this soon, that also, same deal, but he got fired, and he went out and got a new job, and the new job is paying him 30% more than his old job. See, God has the power to take your civil disobedience and use it to give you a raise. But you got to stop being dumb, and I have so, I have such a heart here for the church, because I expect non-Christians to be dumb, but Christians can't be dumb. And if, and if you're getting dumbed down by this culture, shame on you. They'll never see Christ in you. Because a church that's like the world has no ability to change the world. So, so Jesus gives us a warning. He says, if salt has lost its taste, this is why the point is dumb, okay? Because <laughs> this is important. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? So the word lost its taste is three words in English, but in Greek, it's one word. And the word is, listen to the word for lost its taste in Greek. Ready? Moranthe. I kid you not. Any sophomores in the house? Sophomores? Sophomore Sophia Moros. Wise fool. Jesus is saying, this is how you know you're losing your saltiness. When you get dumbed down by your culture. When you let the philosophy out there get in here. You gotta have discernment. You say, well, what's the answer? Wisdom. James chapter one, verse five. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And he give graciously without finding reproach. Then Jesus says, you don't light a lamp and put it under a bushel. You don't light a lamp and hide it. You put it on the stand. Verse 15, it gives light to the whole house. Then he says, in the same way, let your light shine so that other people can see your good works and glorify your God, Father who is in heaven. So we don't just complain. We know, we don't complain. We, we activate, we instigate, we start something that, that God has given us in our spirits because we are filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can do things that bring goodness to the world. Because if the good news is good for, news for us, it should be good news for everyone who sees us and knows us. Write this down, last thing I want you to just write down. A wise Christian is an active Christian. A wise church is an active church. And Jesus makes no bones about it. He says, do it. Do something so that people will see it. 